DJ, PK, and David Locke joining us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, We're going to have John Clayton on in the air in a little while to talk NFL Draft, and I thought you had a Seattle connection. I thought you told me once that you actually knew him pretty well, a little bit. Yeah, pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, certainly say hi to him for me. Okay. That's just Seattle crossing paths. You just couldn't help it? Yeah, I mean, we were both at KJR at the same time. I think he switched stations since. Um, so we were both on the same station um, and probably did a bunch of shows together. Um, so, you, you know, he was he was kind of on fire at ESPN at that point. Um, I've talked to him since a few times about uh, various projects we might get involved in together. So, um, yeah, please say that one for me. Okay, Mr. Locke. So All right, I listen Mr. to your... What do you got? What do you got for me? <laughs> I listen to your. Where are you, pl- where are you playing plea. this? Where are you playing this week? Where are you playing this weekend, PK? Uh, I think I might go. Uh, let's see. Uh, Victory Ranch? No, nothing. Nothing up your way is open yet, is it? No, Summit County's not going to be open for a while. I don't think from my hearing. So I can't even get in. Yeah, that's right. Keep me out. It's probably good for your county and good for me. So yeah, we don't we don't this week. want people. Evidently, we're trying to do. I'm saying this tongue in cheek. I'm fully supportive. Um, I think we're trying to do the best we can to make Summit County as miserable as possible right now, so that nobody will come back to their house to visit. <laughs> well, in time, everything will be open, and we'll get up there, and it'll be fun. Uh, Right. But I listened to you, I think it was on uh, with uh, Jake and Gordon, where you were talking about Rudy Gobert and his offensive uh, ability. And I agree with you to an extent. Uh, actually, I agree with you to a large extent as far as his offensive ability. But with that in mind, I still want to know from you, do you think the Jazz need a big man, rim protector, five center, whatever you want to call them, who can shoot threes? Because it doesn't look like on the roster that they have one now. So that's you know so it's it's a weapon that you at least have in your disposal. You're saying, um, yes, not not as a as a compliment to Rudy, not as a um, as as a replacement, right? Am I not following not you specifically as a replacement. Yes, I mean if, if they decide he's a replacement, maybe so. But I'm not saying specifically as a replacement. I'm just saying have an opportunity to put that out on the floor if you want to in a situation? Um, I mean, I think anytime you have versatility, that's good, right? So that's um, – and it, so anytime you have the possibility of, of having multiple options, um, you know, I don't know what my other choices are, so it's an easy answer to say yes, but, like, you know, one, there aren't – a great deal of fives that shoot that well. Um, and so this would have to be a pretty, I think, offensive-minded lineup. I mean, um, there's an interesting free agent, Alex Len, who I think will probably get paid. But he's seven feet. I think he could be taught to be a pretty good rim defender. And he's kind of learned how to shoot the three at a below-average level. I don't... I don't know that that player fits your bill of what you're talking about because what you also get to is there's a difference between someone who shoots the three and someone who makes you guard them shooting the three. And the purpose of having the five shoot the three is to spread the floor and open up the floor um, so that then you can uh, 
um, have driving lanes and have better offensive ability. Okay, so with that said, though, let me back up. And and so I understand what you're saying. Now let me back up just to be devil's advocate for our conversation and say, like, why? So right now we have Tony Bradley and Rudy Gobert, and predominantly we have Rudy Gobert. And since Jordan Clarkson's joined the team, the team is the number one offensive team in the league. It has played only, I think, three of those games against top five defenses and would have had a few more coming. So let's just assume it would have slipped and that they're the number three offensive team in the league. I don't actually know that that's true. They might have still been the number one offensive team in the league. Why do we need something offensively? We're the number one offensive team in the league. We're the number three offensive team in the league. The concept that Rudy is somehow hurting us offensively, I, I don't, I can't find that actually mathematically because since you know we've added to this roster and and spread out the four with Rudy rolling as the five, we, we've got the best offense in the league. Okay, so the goal is to have the best team in the league. So does that mean as you peruse all the numbers or just the eyeball test as you and Ron Boone watch games that the Jazz have got to get much better at the defensive end of the floor? Yeah, I mean, I think there's still an element that they have to get, that they do have to figure out what they are off defensively. Um, you know, all they did in some extent was flip from being the number one defensive team and about the number 11th offensive team or lower, and then flipped it to being now the number one offensive team or close and the number, you know, 11 or 12 defensive team. This, this route gives them a much better possibility to win a playoff series. Um, you know, they could get hot shooting and beat anyone in the league on a given night. There was not a scenario last year, at least in my opinion, and I think this played out, where they could be so good defensively that they slowed someone down enough to be able to catch them with their offense. Their offense just wasn't, didn't have enough firepower, even if the defense had a good game against one of the elite teams in the league. Um, they have the p- capability now offensively to have a route where they can win a series as an underdog because they're that good offensively. Um, it's just been hard for us, I think, to understand who they are as a team because it's so it's such a flip from a year ago. But the, the margin is narrower um, defensively than it used to be, and, but the margin used to be really narrow offensively. What specifically has led to that defensive situation? Oh, I mean, I think Boyan at the four is a pretty dramatic difference um, than having Derek Favors at the four. The defense was was awfully good um, when Favors was was in. I think the league might have adjusted a little bit um, as well on just you know things that you have to do to to move the greatest defensive player in the world. Um, I'm, I would guess I haven't looked at it that our defensive numbers just aren't as good when. Rudy's on the floor by himself, um, but Jay Crowder was a probably a better defensive player than Boyan Bogdanovich. Our length, um, Ricky, you know, Mike Conley is considerably smaller than Ricky Rubio. He's you know got a lot of areas where he's got a positive, but he's you know Rubio's big for his position, long for his position. Um, we were generally long at every position, and now we're probably small at most of them. So I think there's a length um, and size issue that probably precluded us from being as good defensively as we did before. But, I mean, I have – I'm going to go back to it, right? But on the other end, we're the best offensive team in the league since we added Jordan Clarkson. So, 
you know, part of that is that you have Boyan Bogdanovich and you have Mike Conley and you have Jordan Clarkson and, you know, you've, you've made a, you've, there's nothing wrong with doing that because you've got a benefit on the other side of it. So back to PK's original question, then, what about the possibility of adding someone and making the number one offense num- the number one offense by a wider margin because you do have the versatility. It's a different way to attack. It messes with teams that they gear up to play one way, and then as soon as Rudy checks out the game, they put in this imaginary three-point shooting five-man we just whipped yeah, I mean, up one, out of I don't thin really, air. I guess I'm having a hard time grasping who that person is, so that's a little bit of a hard question for me. Yeah. Um, and the second question is, if I'm looking at the data, which I'm now going to try to pull up quickly, um, not knowing that this conversation was coming, I would think that the answer is actually, can we get better defensively in the 12 minutes a night that Rudy's not on the floor? Is a better approach for us than trying to get better offensively in those, you know, maybe it's not, you know, in those 14 minutes. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm buying. I, I don't. I don't buy that Rudy hurts us offensively. I understand that it's from you know Quinn's standpoint or, or someone like that. You know, coaching it that there are some things that you know his lack of ability to take advantage of some of those switches on him and some things like that are difficult. But our offense is in the 81st percentile to 114 when he's on the floor. Our defense is in the 77th percentile. We're plus 6.5 when Rudy's on the floor this year. When Rudy's off the floor this year, which I, I don't know what's coming here, to be totally honest. Um, I haven't looked at this in at least a month, so not much longer. Um, when Rudy's off the floor this year, we're a minus 4.5. Our offense is in the 40th percentile. Our defense is in the 23rd percentile. Um, I, I think that's probably the issue is we've got to find a way in the few, tw- you know, the 12 minutes a night that, or 14 minutes a night that Rudy's off the floor to be better. Um, the defensive ratings are 114 when Rudy's off the floor this year. That's really not good. And so I think that's the issue that probably has to be fixed. Now, some of that is that Ed Davis just didn't have the bounce that he's had in, in years past when he came to us this year for whatever reason, and, and some of his defensive techniques did not match. Um, the defenses but with Tony Bradley on the floor were even because our offense is really good, but the defense is still in the 22nd percentile and we're the last in the league enforcing turnovers with that group on the floor. So, um, I, you know, I think there's some, I, I'm, I'm going to go the other way on this conversation. I, I, I think if you're trying to fix something in the 14 minutes that Rudy's not on the floor, I'm not looking for an offensive minded stretch. I'm looking for somebody else who can protect the rim the way Milwaukee added Robin Lopez to Brooke Lopez. So when you say that group, it's not just simply Tony Bradley. Are there no, no. others involved that are leading to those numbers? Yeah, I mean, I think you just, you know, if you look at all of our personnel decisions that we've made, and, and I'm a proponent of this, um, so you can't sign Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, you don't get to go sign five two-way players, right? Like, that's just not how it works. So you're building a roster and you have to have an identity in your roster. And we made a conscious effort to make an, get an offensive-minded roster, and we did a hell of a job with it. And so, yeah, Jordan Clarkson's not a – he battles. He puts out a pretty darn good effort. Um, but he's not – you know, he's not an elite defensive player. Um, you know, what's interesting, by the way, on Tony Bradley, that's probably worth noting and probably worth digging into a little bit more, and I just had, wasn't prepared for this – you actually look at the two most commonly used lineups 
that involved Tony Bradley, and the defense is really good. Um, in fact, let me just kind of run one or two filters and get Jeff Green off the floor with Tony Bradley and see what happens here, because I actually think that looking at the season-long numbers on Tony Bradley actually might uh, be faulty. Actually, that flipped the other way. So, no, I mean, the offense is great. With Tony Bradley on the floor and no Ed Davis and no Dante and no Jeff Green, so this is when Jordan Clarkson's on the floor with Joe Ingles and George Niang and either Donovan or um, or uh, Mike running it. Um the, the offense is great. Like that, that group is in the 94th percentile of all offenses. It's just not very good defensively. Now, interestingly, it's not very good defensively when Emmanuel Moutier is in the game instead of from my quick scan here. Um, if I take Moutier off the floor, it doesn't get much. But no, defense just for whatever reason, the, the two primary lineups, the defense is good, and every secondary lineup, it's not. So the defense is not very good in those lineups, but the offense is great. So I would still hold to kind of what I'm saying, which is. Um, and I apologize for kind of bouncing around there, but I, it's not a com- thought I had before you guys brought it up. So I'd have to try to, you know, and I don't like to just do it off the top of my head. I'd like to back it up. So the numbers back up what my instinct is, which is if I'm trying to adjust something that we're doing defense with the second unit, it is not an adjustment that we're making to add a stretch five. Our offense is fabulous with that group on the floor. It's a, the defense has not been great, but again, you know, I don't look. I don't think a lot of people think Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, George Niang, Tony Bradley, and either Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell are players who are defensively inclined and are elite level defensive players. So, um, with that in mind, I think that's the roster you've built, and I think that's great. Okay, so uh, this is homework for next week. So you have something to do because you got a lot of free time in your hands and you're probably driving your family nuts. So here's a project. Are you ready? Sure. Let's assume that the NBA is going to come back and play. Let's assume that whole everybody goes to one city Vegas model works, right? And they take over two courts and hotels or UNLV or both or whatever they do. Let's assume that they want to play as many games as possible. There's been talk about shortening shortening some early playoff series to best of five and maybe skipping the rest of the regular season. But let's assume they want to play those regular season games put them all on the sports regionals, finish those TV packages out, make as much money as possible, and that they want to play the full seven. That means it could be a pretty congested schedule, and they won't have travel to account for if they're all in one city. Which teams would benefit from a – and you can just tell us off the top of your head now, but we'll let you check it out and back it up next week. Which teams would benefit – have a deeper roster and could handle a congested schedule if they try to put in as many games as possible into whatever short time frame that they are trying to wedge these games into. So the interesting thing on this, if we do do this, is home court advantage is not going to matter. Right. And so I can't imagine Nikola Jokic is playing every single one of these games. Right? Particularly coming back from time off. So if you're one of the good teams... And since we're probably not playing 82, seven of the eight teams, if not eight of the eight teams in the West, know they're making the playoffs and just about the same in the East. I think you're playing, I think you're almost playing an A roster and a B roster early on um, before you put your roster together. Um, So, you know, you're playing Mike Conley one night and Donovan the next, and maybe you're playing Rudy one night and Tony the next, and you're, you're working your roster in a unique manner. Uh, to get players healthy. I haven't talked to anyone about this. I'm just totally making this up. But 
um, when they're, you know, the only thing you'd be playing for is whether you're trying to alter your seating in a way so that you, you know, avoid a team you don't want to see. Denver knows how to do that well. Um, and so that would be the only thing because you don't really care whether you're the four or five or six seed because it's really being being three, four, five, or six would now be the, the exact same. You'd like to avoid the Lakers and Clippers. Um, but otherwise, you're just playing that same group of teams and there's no home court advantage. So I think you just see a lot of resting. Do you know, would you be allowed to broadcast those games? I have not the slightest clue. Early leader. I, mean, I, would, hope, I would hope so. I mean, you need to have the local. You need to have local broadcasting, however you're going to get it done. Um, you need to have the local flavor on the broadcast. You can't do this and have, um, I, I mean, I, you can, but I think it would be a really bad idea to have a national broadcast coming out of every single one of these games um, so that your fan doesn't feel any connection to the people that they, you know, that they're connected to. I, I think what we need to bring back, and I was actually really fortunate to be on a call with Danny Meyer, the great restaurateur who, you know, probably most people know him for Shake Shack, but he also has created kind of six or seven of the best restaurants in New York the other day. And I thought he was really interesting when he was talking about the fact that, you know, what we're looking for as, as people is we're looking for safety and we're looking for love and we're looking for collectivity. I, I think it's really important if sports is going to come back, we do need to have that collective entity and we're not going to be able to do it by being in the building together. So what are the other ways that we as a group can feel a togetherness rooting for our team while social distancing? And so I think having Craig Bowler, Jack and Thurl Bailey and Matt Harpering, you know, bringing you the ball game is really an important aspect of that. That's your guys and your people and you're connected and having KK on the sidelines. And I think that's a really important aspect of this, if it's possible, is to give the fans that, you know, that feeling again. And, um, and hopefully there's an aspect that Ron and I bring it to you on radio as well. So um, I do think that that anything that can kind of bring that collectivity um, is super important. I'm very, very disappointed in the two of you today, though. Well, I have another me thought too. on the whole media stuff, but uh, I'm pretty disappointed in me, too. I'm not bringing the energy on a Friday like it I should. mean, we won a championship last night. <laughs> Mike Conley we salvaged a championship last night. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Salva- I mean, we won a championship last night, and not even a mention. Well, we were going to finish on a high note with that, David. I mean, you you know, you kind of preempted this here, as you tend to do. What burying the lead? Nope. Ending on a high note, Dave. Besides, we're about the team, and that was an individual honor, Dave. So those are secondary. Well, we're social distancing, so maybe we should be about individual honors and WNBA <laughs> draft today. PK already mentioned that. We're there. Yeah, just thought I'd point out. Are you yeah. excited for are you excited for the last dance this weekend? Uh excited is too strong. I, I would go with curious. Uh watching the ten part Jordan documentary. I want to see how many young versions of our former self uh, wander into the screen during the NBA Finals. <laughs> I think it's inevitable that some Salt Lake media is going to end up on TV. Who was standing where or asked what question they used from a press conference, I have no idea. I have no clue. But I don't know. Uh, it, in a 10-part series, I'm thinking there's a lot of time on the Finals. So, you know, I don't know if Brad Rock's going to pop up or if PK is or if you are or if Booner is. But, you know, 
I figure somebody is along the way. So I interviewed Ben Golliver this week, who had a preview edition um, and had seen eight of the ten episodes, and mm-hmm. he says it's pretty great. Good. Well, they had unbelievable access, and, and I think a lot of us are suckers for that kind of stuff. We, we love watching NFL films when they have the video with the winning coach addressing the team and everyone's pumped up in the locker room. We rarely see the losing coach when everyone's pissed and there's some player raging in the locker room. Um, I, love, I love those, but we don't get to see those. I was watching uh, uh, A Football Life on, uh, now I'm blanking on the guy's name, the Patriots linebacker, and he was talking about how— Teddy Bruschi? No, um, USC guy. Um, Willie McGinnis. Thank you. Willie McGinnis, yes. Nice. And Willie, it was very good. It was very well done. He's a very interesting guy. He's a great interview. And he was talking about how he went in and trashed the team after they lost a playoff game to the Steelers, 7-6, to the Pete Carroll era. They'd been to the Super Bowl, and he'd had a taste of it, although they lost. And uh, he loved Parcells, and Parcells took off. And Carroll's there, and they lost. And Carroll's like, it's okay, guys. And the guys are like, yeah, it's okay. And he didn't think it was okay. And he snapped on the team. And, and he admitted on camera, he says, I lost it. It was over the top. And they said, do you regret it? He goes, no, I didn't regret it at all. It was totally over the top, but I would do it again. As a matter of fact, I did do it again. I didn't regret it any time I did it. <laughs> it was awesome. Like, great. Right. And so what I wanted was, well, bust out the video. Do you not go? I guess maybe they just don't go into the losing locker room so they don't have it. We've all seen the game ball awarded multiple times. I want to see Willie screaming at his teammates about, you guys got bad attitudes. Think like a winner. Be pissed. Let this drive you all through the offseason. We're coming back next year and we're taking this thing by the throat. It's not okay. <laughs> I've seen my team lose in the playoffs. It's not okay. It can get a little cranky. I don't mind that. Let me see it. Yeah. You're a beautiful human being. I try. All right, David. We will uh, talk to you again next week. Thanks for coming on with us. I, and by the way, right. I think you will be broadcasting because that uh, connectivity thing you talk about goes hand in hand with the local sponsor reads and mentions and logos, which I think they'll want to take care of. But I wouldn't be surprised if you end up broadcasting off a monitor because they are going to try to minimize any chance of a positive test for any player. So the more they can keep everybody away, it would not shock me if you were in Utah uh, calling it off a monitor. We'll see. Yep, we will see. All right, thanks, David. See you.